Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. I share this from experience in my own life. The sooner we can get to that place where we trust God when nothing makes sense, when we trust God even though everything in our lives absolutely contradicts everything we believe about God, the sooner we can get to that place, the better. And Job will get there. Job is going to get there. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Job. Job's friends came to him with false perceptions of God. They tried to blame Job's suffering on potential sins of his past, claiming that bad things can't happen to godly people. Pastor J.D. warns us of the dangers in thinking this way. God will allow trials and hardship in our lives, and when He does, it's often so that we might grow stronger in Him. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Job chapter 4 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. A so-called friend, rub your face in that? Well, there's a reason why God killed your ten children, Job. Things don't, don't just happen. Everything happens for a reason. Well, wait a minute, Eliphaz. What if there is no reason? What if the reason that this has happened is too high for your finite understanding? Because it is. How about that? I love what Chambers says, too, and I I know I've quoted this uh, often. You know, we expect God to come in through a door, right? And the problem is, what, what if God doesn't want to come in through that door? What do you think? No, he needs to come in through that door. Well, wait a minute. What if he wants to come in through the window? Can he come in through the window? Of course he can. He's got, oh, I'm sorry. Does that not fit your tidy little finite theology? Is your God so little that he has to function in your way and according to your reasons? Apparently for Eliphaz he does. And then to insinuate, and that's for lack of a better word, that Job's children were killed because of him and his sin. Could you imagine? Here's Job for the life of him trying to think, man, did I steal a candy bar when I was three? I don't, did I confess that? I don't remember. I don't know what possible sin. And isn't it interesting that we're told in chapter 1 that this man Job was so godly and feared God and shunned evil so much so that he would actually offer sacrifice. This is pre-law, pre-Moses, pre-everything. He would actually offer sacrifices for all of his children. Does that sound like a man that has secret sin in his life? Does that sound like a man that God would kill all of his children for that reason. And by the way, if Eliphaz and his other two so-called friends were 
knew Job that well, certainly they would have known that he did that for his children. That's what makes it particularly insidious is that he would come in and say that to Job. But again, I'm not excusing him, but I'm trying to explain it in some way where this guy's coming from. He has to. You know what's at stake for him? His entire theological structure and belief about God. He, he has to believe this and insinuate this because of what's at stake here. Because that's the only thing that can possibly make sense. You know, listen, and I share this from experience in my own life. The sooner we can get to that place where we trust God when nothing makes sense, when we trust God, even though everything in our lives absolutely contradicts everything we believe about God, the sooner we can get to that place, the better. And Job will get there. Job is going to get there. Well, verse 8, sorry, I got a little upset over that one. I just, just getting a little bit too, uh, verse 8, but as for me, now he's still, he's still talking. Does this guy ever stop? But as for me, you, you can just hear the, the piety and the smugness in his tone just from reading it. But as for me, <laughs> I would see God. <gasps> I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And to God, I would commit my cause. By the way, can I just again parenthetically say, where do we get off on telling somebody who's going through something we could never possibly even begin to imagine what they should do? If I were you, this is what I would do? There's a, there's a problem with that right out of the chute. Uh, it's the I. What I would do is I would, oh really, I, I, That's what you would do? Here's, here's the thing. You have no idea what you would do if, if that was you. I wonder, just for purpose of discussion, hypothetically speaking, what if that was Eliphaz sitting there? You think that's what he would do? No. I think he would have cursed God by now. No, I really do. I think if this were Eliphaz, here, here he is, if I were you. No, if you were Job, you know, you know what you would do? <laughs> you would have already cursed God by now. That's what you would have done. Well, verse 9, I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty. Are you kidding me? So that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime and grope at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword, 
from the mouth of the mighty and from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. Listen, if you didn't think it could get any worse, it just did. You know what he's uh, basically saying here? He's saying, uh, Job, um, if I were you, I would seek God and commit this to him. Uh, and in saying that to him, he's actually accusing Job of doing neither. I mean, might as well. He's already on a roll. He's accused Job of just about everything else. Might as well. Um, here's the problem with Eliphaz. We've all had an Eliphaz in our lives, right? Just even now as I've said that, somebody has come to mind. Let me uh, take it a, a step further and say this. I think sometimes, and I say this of myself, sadly, I think sometimes we've been an Eliphaz in someone else's life. Where we've just, in our smugness and our pride and our arrogance, and, and spiritual pride, not just pride, spiritual pride, that's the, that's the worst spiritual pride. We have said things to people, like what Eliphaz is saying to Job. And even if we didn't articulate it, we thought it. Oh, yeah, there must, there must be some sin in their lives. That, you know, if, if I were them, you know, the, 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 the three most satanic words, actually I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, are, did you hear? Did you hear what happened to Job? Ah. Come on, don't look at me like that. That's exactly how we think. You know, we, we when we study a book like Job, are so prone to shed ourselves in a favorable light, you know, and, and we try to identify with Job, and you know, I'm going through some real difficult time. Not like Job. I don't think any of us is that uh, arrogant. <laughs> At least he would like to think we're not that arrogant as to say, yeah, I know what Job's going through. No, you, know, you don't. You have no idea. But we're, we're more prone to identify with Job than we are with Eliphaz, when the truth is we're probably more like Eliphaz than we are like Job. You know when you're reading in the Proverbs and you read the, those contrasting Proverbs where the righteous do this, but the wicked do that. And what, what is our tendency? Our tendency is to shed ourselves in this favorable light. You know, the, the righteous do this. That's Eliphaz. But the wicked do that. And we always point the finger of blame in our spiritual pride. I can't get over how he's actually saying of Job, you're cunning and you're crafty. And that's why God's doing this to you. You're cunning because again, uh, this doesn't just happen unless there's cunning involved. This doesn't just happen to a man unless he's crafty. That's what he's saying. Now here's the thing. Um, he's actually right. 
He, he's saying the right thing concerning craftiness and cunning, but he's misapplying it in the wrong way. Have you ever said the right thing, but in the wrong way? One of the things I was uh, sharing with my daughter, uh, in fact, just today, is that it's not so much what we say, it's how we say what we say. Just the way we say it, the heart in which we say it, it can just change the whole complexion of it. If our heart's not right, we can say the right thing in the wrong way, with the wrong heart, at the wrong time, to the wrong person. Oh, it can be right, (laughs) but it's wrongly applied. Listen to what one commentator said. Aspirin is a good and effective medicine, but It is useless against cancer. Similarly, so much of the advice that Eliphaz and the other friends dole out is, in its own right, correct and good and true. But because it is wrongly applied, it becomes useless. More than useless. It is a lie. It is a lie. The Apostle Paul, interestingly enough, refers to this passage in Job When he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, he says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, and here it is, He catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. In other words, Eliphaz had it right, but he was wrong. He couldn't be more wrong, though... This speaks to another very important principle. Sometimes we can be so right doctrinally and so wrong in our heart. We can be spot on when it comes to doctrine, but just our heart is so wrong and our attitude is so wrong. Verse 17, Behold, Happy is the man whom God corrects. Man, this guy just keeps going and going and going. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. This is actually in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews. For he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war from the power of the sword, you shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. Hang on to that. And you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine. And you shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field. And the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to the grave at a full age, as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this we have searched out. It is true, and I want you to pay particularly atten- particular attention to the, this last part. Hear it and know for yourself. Oh, wow. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. Listen, he is so sure that he's right and Job is wrong. 
and he's wrong, and Job is right. He is so convinced in his own righteousness that Job is wrong. And yet he's the one that is so wrong, and Job is right. You'll forgive me for noticing an irony here, but notice what he tells Job in verse 21 as it relates to the scourge of the tongue. (laughs) It's ironic that it's the very tongue of Eliphaz that is scourging and even tormenting Job, who has already been tormented enough. Talk about the power of the tongue. The proverb says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Our tongues can bring life. Our tongues can bring death. Listen to what Adam Clark said. I think he said it best. Perhaps no evil is more dreadful than the scourge of the tongue. Evil speaking, detraction, backbiting, defamation, slander, tail-bearing, whispering, and scandalizing are some of the terms which we use when endeavoring to express the sinister influence and effects of that member, which is a world of fire, kindled from the nevermost hell. You know, in the uh, New Testament, we've been talking about this as well, that you have these lists of things, the, the deeds of darkness and things that, I mean, like murder and, I mean, just horrific things. And in those lists, you're going you're gonna to find uh, gossip. Gossip? Gossip rises to the level of murder? Yeah, because this ugly little piece of flesh in our big mouths is capable of assassinating the character of another individual. And that's what James writes about. I won't take the time to read it, but I would encourage you to revisit this chapter in James, James chapter 3, and particularly verses 1 through 13. Here's the gist of it. Man can control large ocean liners that have a very small rudder. Man can tame wild beasts. But there's one thing that we cannot tame, and it's this tongue. This tongue makes great boasts. It can set on fire an entire field, an entire forest, just one little spark from this ugly little tongue. Here's how it works. I can say about somebody, did you hear that they... And I'll let you fill in the blank. You will never be able to look at them the same again. They are guilty until they're proven innocent. And here's the problem. They can never prove themselves innocent because you've already passed judgment in your mind because of that ugly tongue. I have seen people's lives utterly destroyed. I've seen churches dismantled and destroyed brought to nothing because of the tongue. Let's talk about marriages. You want to destroy a marriage? Right there. You know the the teeth, that white picket fence, it's there for a reason, to keep that thing inside. You know the problem is you can still 
talk with that thing with your teeth shut too. That's the other problem. See, you can't tame it, even with the teeth. It is so dangerous, that tongue. And that's why it rises to the level that it does. Oh, would to God that would be, oh, so careful with our tongues. James says, you know this tongue, and we did it here tonight. We, We praise God. We sing beautiful praise and worship music. David's up here leading worship. It's so beautiful. I love the song choices tonight. A couple of them brought back some wonderful, fond memories. And, you know, we're praising God. You know, Jesus, you are Lord. Did you hear about him? The same tongue. The same tongue. By the way, and I'll close with this. God's going to have the final word on Eliphaz's tongue, the scourge of his tongue. And it's going to come at the end of the book in chapter 42. And I just want to read verses 7 through 9. Listen to this. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, oh, I can't wait till we get to chapter 42. My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends. You want to know why? Here's why. For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, Take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly. And he says it again a second time, because of your ugly tongues. Lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite. By the way, we're, we're going to hear from these guys. <laughs> Stay tuned. Went and did as the Lord commanded them, for the Lord had accepted Job. Uh, one last thing, and I hate to end on this note, but you know what? Maybe I need to. We're going to give an account for every word that we spoke. Oh no. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. I'm in deep kimchi. Job's life shifted radically and quickly from prosperity to despair, giving him every reason to complain and turn away from God. Yet Job kept his focus on his creator, telling us in chapter 1, verse 21, that the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's not easy to praise the Lord when everything we know falls apart. But as we'll continue to learn from Job, God has a much better and greater plan than we can even comprehend. God will bring us through every trial and tragedy we face and is our ultimate source of comfort and strength. Have you discovered the powerful love of God in your life? If you'd like to know more about this relationship, we have a great guide for you at our website, inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
just click on the New Believers link at the top of the page. We'd also like to encourage you to find a church family, one that follows God with all their hearts and live by His Word, and we'll provide you with support as you walk this journey of faith. If you're in the area, why not join us at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe? We meet every Sunday at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m., and again on Thursdays at 7 p.m. for a time of fellowship, worship, and studying the Bible. We'd love to have you join us. You can find location information through our website. That address again is in spiritandtruthradio.com. Sadly, that's all the time we have for today, but we want to thank you for listening. Be sure to join Pastor J.D. next time as he continues teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the book of Job, right here on In Spirit and Truth. <laughs> 